All right, good morning. I'm going to start a new series uh, with you today, and we're going to be in the book of Luke, and we'll probably be there for a while. Um, um, I was going to conclude our next series this morning, but I realized that the theme of our, the last part of our next series is the same as the opening theme of the book of Luke. And so I, I just thought, man, let's just jump into the book of Luke together. Um, I'm... I'm I, I don't know. I don't know if you can remember the first time, and I hope that you, you've done this, uh, but maybe the first time um, when you opened up a book of the Bible and you said, man, I'm going to, I'm going to just dive into this. And just in my personal study, I'm going, to, um, I'm, I'm going to sit here and open up and digest God's Word. That's what I'm going to do. I, I can still remember very vividly the first time I did that in my life was with the book of Isaiah. And just personally, I sat down every single morning um, and opened up the Word, and I mean a lot. And I would spend hours every morning just saying, God, I want to live in this, and I want to think about it through the day, and I want, I want this to express itself in my day every single day. And um, it was such a powerful thing for me. I was, I was, in my, I w- I was 20 years old. And uh, I was in the book of Isaiah, and I'll never forget the morning that I got to my very favorite chapter and my very favorite verse. Uh, it's on so many bookmarks and keychains, Isaiah forty thirty one. And that morning, uh, 5.30 in the morning, I was up, had my candle going, was in it, was reading, and the earth started to shake, and it's a true story. I was in my first earthquake in Quito, Ecuador reading my favorite verse in Scripture, man, and, and it was just like, God, you felt the power, you know. God's Word is cutting. It's powerful. You, you open it, you know, when it's just something that you're reading bookmarks or something like that, man, you're not sure, but when you're in it and you really let it do its work in you, the Word of God is powerful. This book, the book of Luke, I don't want to spend too much time on introduction because I don't want to lose you too quickly. But I'm going to give you some things that might blow your mind. Who wrote the majority? Who wrote more of the New Testament than any other author? Who is it? Not Paul. Luke wrote more than Paul did, even if you give Paul Hebrews, which you should. (laughs) But even if you give him Hebrews, Luke wrote more of the New Testament. He wrote more than John, even if you give him Revelation, and you should. But that just blew my mind. And then, I, then it hit me. Wait a second. Luke is also a Gentile. Now, we know Luke is a Gentile. I defended for years that he was probably a Jew. Uh, but from Colossians 4, 10 through 18, there is pretty strong evidence that he's a Gentile in those verses. I'm not going to camp there. But just if, if you're really deep into the study, look it up and research that and have that dialogue with me. I'd love to. But... Um, that means that the majority of the, well, the lion's share of the, of, of the authorship of the New Testament was written to a particular individual. How about that? Theophilus. We're going to talk about him in a second. But that means the, one, the person who wrote the majority of the New Testament, well, uh, out of all the authors, is writing a particular individual, this man named Theophilus. And that is going to be something that, to me, is a very powerful message in who he is. And then the last thing I want to say about Luke is his loyalty. 
I love this verse. The very last thing that Paul ever wrote was 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy. And he says this, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Luke was this loyal companion of Paul. Why he writes Luke and Acts, this body, uh, this corpus of Scripture to say this is what happened, is, is because he was the, the eyewitness of it all. Um, he learned so much about what happened, and that's what he's going to do in the book of Luke, gathering evidence from eyewitnesses to report to this man, Theophilus, this is what's going on, this is what's happened. But the rest of it, the book of Acts, you're talking about his own experience. He keeps talking about, I was on the ship with Paul. I was there. I, I was in prison. I've been, I, I'm an eyewitness of the, all of this myself. But it's really powerful when you, when you look at this. I want to just kind of go to this opening verse. And this is how he explains why he's, he's, he's going to give us this account. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Um, when he writes this, he's, he's saying, listen, um, I'm writing to you, Theophilus, and I'm going to explain in a second why I believe Theophilus was in Antioch. Now, that's not terribly important, so don't, um, don't hold me to that. But after the uh, persecution of the Christians in Jerusalem and after the stoning of Stephen, uh, we're told that the Christians were dispersed and most of them headed towards Antioch. And so what was the hub of the church when you had about 120 members early on in Jerusalem? All of a sudden explodes, the message of the cross is going everywhere, but persecution against Christianity is strong as well. And so the early Christians went to this place called Antioch, up in Syria, north of Jerusalem. And you can imagine what it was like with this influx of people saying, Jesus is the Christ, and talking about what his message was, what these teachings were. And you have this man, Theophilus. What we do know about him is that he's a very, very important man, probably a very wealthy man, probably a man in a position of power. And all of a sudden you have these people coming in and they're wearing the name Christ, but the early Christians don't have a Bible. You understand that? They don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They don't have Paul's letters even yet. You just have the word of mouth, what's going on. And I can't even imagine, I've tried to, what that must have looked like, what that experience would be to just hear, man, this is who Christ was to me. This is what Christ has done in my life. And to be honest with you, we need more of that today. This is my experience with Christ. This is how he's transformed me. This is the gospel that I am presenting to you. And you hear these stories, right? And Luke goes and he says, man, I'm going to get an account of this from the eyewitnesses. I want you to know with certainty what has taken place. And I want you to, I want you to be certain, right? Now that word certainty, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And that's kind of what this message is about today. He says this, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. How do you feel about the word certainty? Um, that's, that's not a popular word today. I'm going to talk about, talk about that in, in a moment. But first, first, let me look at Theophilus. Uh, there are three historic accounts of a man named Theophilus uh, from the time period. The last, I guess, isn't exactly a historic account. 
But Theophilus was actually the high priest in Jerusalem from 37 to 41 AD. Uh, Josephus talks about him, and um, some have suggested that this Theophilus, he's addressed as most excellent Theophilus, might actually be the high priest in Jerusalem. Now, obviously, uh, most scholars would say that it surely wasn't written that early. It could have been. Um, but obviously, he doesn't have to be high priest when it's written. The problem with that suggestion um, is that so many of the Palestinian terms are, ex- are explained throughout the book as though the audience or the recipient of this book is not that familiar with the Palestinian language and locations. And, uh, and so that's one of the reasons it's probably not this high priest. Uh, the second, Theophilus, is described um, in uh, ancient literature. We have um, what's called the Clementine Recognitions. Um, as a man of power in Antioch, um, someone who historically, uh, whether this is the recipient of this book or not, I think it is, uh, a man who had a palace in Antioch, and when he was convicted of his faith, he devoted his house to be the, the first place for the church, a, ch- a place, a palace that the church could meet in. And so this became the headquarters of the church in Antioch, uh, this man's palace that he gave and he devoted his life, his wealth and his riches. The reason I like that is because, did you know, one of the major themes of the book of Luke is the wealthy. This is this is the message to the wealthy. I want you to be wealthy in the things towards God and not the things towards man. And, I, and, and it makes sense, uh, right? And, and finally, there's a, a theory that was brought early on by Origen uh, that it's simply a pseudonym uh, for believers everywhere because the name Theophilus means uh, friend of God. Uh, I like to think that it's a little bit of both of these last two. The way it's addressed, I, I'm pretty convinced that it's probably this man in Antioch because Antioch was such an important location for Luke and for Paul uh, and because of the historic testimony. But either way, I like to think that it's written to all believers. Friend of God, I'm writing this to you so that you might have certainty. Um, this concept of certainty today um, I have heard over and over uh, that certainty is, is a dangerous thing, and it is. Um, that you can be certain of nothing. I'm just going to share with you some quotes through history. Bertrand Russell said, The whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves. And wiser people so full of doubts. Well, most of you agree with that. I, I agree with that. Doubt is not a pleasant condition. But certainty is absurd. That's Voltaire. Certainty is a closing of the mind. Even our senses cannot be trusted. How are we to know this isn't a dream? This is Rene Descartes. He said this, uh, Descartes, I I can't ever pronounce a French name right. Uh, Rene Descartes, he said this, Even our senses cannot be trusted. How are we to know this isn't a dream? But if I'm thinking... And so whether my thoughts are deluded or not, I must exist. I think, therefore, I am. Not even sure about reality. Did you know that Stephen Hawking, in one of his latest books, The Grand Design, I read through it, he actually questioned reality in his book. And he said, I'm just not sure anything's real. And so in a, in a time when, in which flat earth, round earth, gender, reality, everything, we are certain of nothing today. And the idea of certainty comes across to many people as arrogant. And often it is. 
And then Luke writes this message and he says, I want you to have certainty. Nothing is more dangerous than misguided certainty. But a life without certainty, I think, is sad. Um, I think it was Dr. Martin Luther King said, if a man has not discovered something that he's willing to die for, he's unfit to live. That's strong language. But I believe it's true that God wants us to have some level of certainty. I was working on Melinda's desk one time, and uh, I was laying underneath it, and I had three two-inch nails, and I did what you're supposed to do, and I put them in my mouth while I was working on the disc, desk. And after I had put, I had done something with two of the nails, I, I was looking for the third. And I said, I had three nails. Where is it? And then I felt an itch in the back of my throat, and I felt this metallic taste. These were two-inch nails. So I got up and I said, I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> and I'm panicking. And I'm not sure if I swallowed the nail or not. Do you know how much it bothered me to not be certain if I'm going to die or not? <laughs> how much? And the rest of the day, I was like, what do I do? Don't search the internet when something like this happens. You do find out that you're going to die. It was galvanized, you know, some of, one of the websites said, don't worry, it'll dissolve in your stomach, unless it's galvanized, and I was like, well, I'm dead. <laughs> and then finally, Melinda came home after I'm laying there, scared to tell her, I need to go to the hospital, I think I'm going to die, and then she goes in her office and says, oh, I found the nail. <laughs> Woo! But to have certainty, to know one way or the other, now, that's a, that's a silly story, but for some of you, you know, you know that feeling well. Um, I would like to have certainty that the cancer is in remission. I would like to have certainty. And certainty gives comfort. And even those people today that say, well, certainty is absurd, nobody should be certain, then bring up a political issue with them and see how many of them aren't certain about a political issue. We get certain. Everyone's got certain certainties. And the whole idea that there can be no certainty, obviously, that's a snake eating its own tail. Um, That is a statement of certainty. Um, but this word that he uses for certainty, um, asphalian, it comes from this, the same word we get asphalt from. It means, uh, asphalia means it doesn't, it means it fails. And so this means it will not fail, it cannot fail. And so this idea of solid ground, something to stand on, something you can be certain of, it was mostly used for uh, prisoners and keeping prisoners secure. I know they're not going to get out of here. It's the word that was used in Acts 5 when the apostles are locked in prison and the guard comes and reports, I promise you the place is secure. It's asphalia. It won't, it won't be shaken, right? This is the word that's used at the opening of Luke. And he says, I want you to have that in your faith. And so that's the question I have this morning. And the reason this sermon is so difficult, to be honest with you, is because I want to look at you and I want to say, man, I want you to be certain in your faith. But you can't rebuke somebody into certainty, right? You can't even encourage somebody into certainty. I can't look at somebody and say, man, be certain. That's not how it works. And so it's a difficult thing. But what I do think is is important for all of us to understand is you can have certainty. And we're going to talk about how in a minute. 
But I hope that you're able to say this morning that you are certain of some things. I want to encourage you to make a list. Maybe when you go home or something. I'd encourage you to make a list of things that you are certain of. Are you certain that your spouse loves you? Are you certain that you'll have a job tomorrow? Are you certain that there is a God? Are you certain that He loves you? That He knows your name? Are you certain about uh, various doctrines that maybe you've held? Then make a different list. Maybe write down the things that you have been certain of, but you were wrong. Brad, have I ever been certain of something that I was not right about? Brad's over here laughing because I'm notorious for being certain about things that I shouldn't be certain about. And I know that, right? Um, To be certain of something, but to find out later you were wrong. Um, Privately, I'll tell you a lot of church doctrines that I was certain of at one time. Wrote wrote long essays about. And then later discovered, man, I think I was misguided. Not only in the content, but in in, uh, the heart of, of what I was saying. So certainty can be a closing of the mind. It can be the enemy of knowledge. And it can lead to madness and sin. All of of these people have said. Not knowing is a strength, not a weakness. It lets us be open to new ideas, different opinions, to a world we may have not known otherwise. That was a post someone posted on Facebook this morning. Not knowing is a strength. And I can see in circumstances where that can be true. Jesus himself said this. James said this. Uh, Listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So you think about it, there are things in Scripture that are, we're called to be certain about, but there's certainly, certainly things that we're not called to be certain about. Abraham was called to leave, to go to a place that he was uncertain about. But he was certain of God's love and God's presence. Um, praying with certainty. This one's important to me. Praying with certainty, guys, can be dangerous. A lot of people misunderstand what it is to pray in faith. And you'll hear someone say, when you pray, you need to know that he's going to do this. In fact, you hear language like, claim it, right? And so I'm going to pray, man, I hope Melinda, God, I I want Melinda when I go home today to make me a massive meal and to give me a massage. Will it take place? If I have enough faith, can I make this happen? Guys, it's, it's funny, but isn't that how some of us pray sometimes? And instead of a faithful submission to God's will, what are we doing? Exerting our own will. And, and, and what we're calling faithful prayer is, God, you are my genie. This is what I ask of you. And in faith, we're saying we're praying this way when faith is exactly the opposite of that. Faith is saying, God, this is my will, but I just want to submit to you in everything. I give this to you. Now, that doesn't mean we cannot ask God for things. But understanding that, um, uh, that certainty is not that God will give us what we ask for. Certainty is that he will do everything as a loving father to care for us. That's what we can be certain of, um, even in prayer. Um, so how do we find certainty in our lives? Um, that's where we get into the book of Luke. 
And I want to encourage you uh, to really delve into this book with me. We're going to go on a journey together because this book promises this. I write this so that you can have certainty. I want you to live in this so you can be grounded and convicted in what you are and what you believe. This word, Asphalia, this word for certainty, um, I want to get to some of these quotes in a second. It's used in several scriptures. Hebrews 11, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. That's what faith is defined as, certainty. Acts 2, let all Israel be assured of this certainty, that God has made Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the, the soul, firm and secure. It uses this word, asphalia, firm and secure. Hebrews 3, we've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. 2 Peter 1, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. I think about these words, these, these, these ideas of certainty. This is what caused the church to give their lives for what they believed in. And that's why certainty is so important today. That without certainty, I'm not going to have the conviction. I'm not going to have the, uh, the, the, uh, the strength to take the next step in faith that I need to take. The sea isn't going to part for me. The city's not going to fall for me. The Jordan's not going to part for me. Uh, the, the giants aren't going to submit to me. These things are not going to happen without the conviction and the certainty to step out. And that's why certainty plays such an important role in our lives. Some of you, going through the series next, know exactly what it is for your life. You know exactly where God's leading you. This is what God is calling me to. But the reason you're not taking the step is because you lack certainty. And I'm curious how much it would change our lives if we had stood there when the angel is at an empty tomb and said, man, why are you standing here? Go. He's risen. What if you stood there when he died on the cross? What if you had witnessed all of this? And you knew with certainty that it was true. I wonder how that might impact the way we do church. I wonder how it might impact every aspect of our lives if we knew it. And we lived like we knew it. Um, In John 20, Jesus approaches Thomas. And I, I think it's unfortunate that he's remembered for his doubting. But he said this, unless I see the nail marks in the hands, put my fingers where the nails were, put my hands into his side, I'm not going to believe it. When he finally does and he recognizes Christ, you see the voice of certainty. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God, right? Malcolm, I love this guy's last name, Muggeridge. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. Um, I hadn't heard of him, but I researched him. Whenever I share a quote, I like to go ahead and find out who I'm quoting. So I, I, I did that, and I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. So go home and just research who this guy was, because he's a beautiful man. He said this, one of the peculiar sins of the 20th century, which we've developed to a very high level, is the sin of credulity. It has been said that when human beings stop believing in God, they believe in nothing. 
The truth is much worse. They believe in anything. Wow. That's one of those things that hits you in the stomach because you recognize how true that is. You, it's, it's as though you're floating out in the ocean, and this is exactly the illustration that James used. It's like you're floating out in the ocean, and you've lost a place to put your foot. You have nothing to stand on. You've lost ground, and you're, and you're going to reach for anything at this point. G.K. Chesterton, who is just my favorite author, I think, said this, Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. The whole point of having an open mind is not proving to the world how brilliant you are because you're open-minded. That just makes you an open mouth that bites on nothing. The whole point of having an open mind is to find those things in life that are certain, those things in life that are true. Now I'm quoting Philippians 4.8, whatever's true, noble, right? To find those things and to say, I'm going to latch on to that. I'm going to give myself to it with everything I've got. So what can you be certain of this morning? I pray that you can be certain that God is. That he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all God's creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. That, as Tim said this morning, as far as east is from west, he's removed our sins from us. That he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Certainty grants repose, conviction, confidence, and empowers us to move forward. And so um, I'm going to ask this prayer over our study. Um, but my prayer over your life as well, because like I said, I know I couldn't conclude this sermon by looking at you and saying, okay, go be certain now. I know it doesn't work that way. I've thought that through a lot. What is your message, Jeff? It's to know this, that certainty is available, that it's not something to fear that it's not a negative trait like so much of society today would suppose it to be. But certainty gives you a rock to stand on, and God's Word supplies it. When we go through the book of Luke together, I pray that you will discover Christ in a whole new way. I pray that you'll discover not simply uh, the beauty of the man and his teaching, but you'll understand the depth of the message something that reaches every single one of us where we're at. And I pray that, as just as Theophilus, it would grant us the certainty to take whatever step is next for us in our lives. Someone put this note on my back this morning. <laughs> I thought it was a kick-me note, and I was like, nothing's changed since high school. Still getting bullied at church. But it was a, a note of kindness, and someone just came up. And, now, now, I know who did this. Okay, you didn't do it that secretly. <laughs> but it was a very kind note, you know? And it meant a whole lot to me. And getting to witness uh, the community here, getting to witness some of the lives here, the sacrifices that are being made in the body, people that are laying down their lives for one another, offering words of encouragement, 
devote, the, the devotion that I've seen in so many lives in this family, it shows certainty. It shows a degree of conviction. And the world needs to see that in us. I'm not ashamed to stand before you or anybody in this world. And it's not arrogant for me to say Jesus is Lord. That's a fact. It's a fact that I'm certain about. A fact that I pray I would give my life for. And I pray that you would, you would ask God for conviction and certainty in what he's asking of you. And so when we sit at his feet through this series in Luke, uh, through the book of Luke, I pray that it'll be exactly that. Disciples sitting at the feet of an incredible Savior and saying, God, with certainty, I'm going to leave everything and commit myself to say, what do you want from me next? Theophilus, if it's this man of power in Antioch or whoever this might be, uh, Theophilus devoted everything he had and um, served as something as a bedrock for that early church because of his conviction. If you're here this morning, and I know this sounds sort of like the invitation that you grew up with, but if you're here this morning, maybe you're visiting our church, whatever it is, and you are Theophilus, a friend of God, someone that is interested, I pray that this would be more than just a series of sermons that we're going through, but I pray that this would be a message from God to you. I exist, I love you, and I want to grant you certainty that will empower your life. My God, I just want to come before you and and ask you for that level of of certainty. Um, I want to be able to say with Paul that I I know whom I've believed in. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. I I ask for that for your body here. Um, God, there's so much in this world we can't be certain of. Our political views and everything else, God, they're, they're just they're strong opinions. But they're not rooted in anything holy. And I pray, God, that you, you would set our feet on solid ground. And that we would be humble about everything that is not from you. And humble about everything that we're not certain about. Uh, but God, to be able to say with confidence and absolute humility that we know you. And that we know that you're going to guard us and, 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 and carry us. Um, I love you so much for this book and I cannot express in words um, how it, it doesn't seem to get old. After so many years, it doesn't seem old at all. And I love you for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God together.